I think one of the hardest moments for me was walking into his hospital room after he'd had a psychotic break and then pneumonia and hearing him telling the nurses, she's no damn good. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant, a certified caregiving advocate, and a caregiver support group leader. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we focus on the caregiver, we offer some practical insights and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, and we all know that laughter is, in fact, the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Now, you know I never forget the wine. (laughs) You know, Mike, you and I attend a lot of caregiver and dementia conferences to keep up to date with developments, treatments, and techniques. And we started that right after we decided to support caregivers upon your father's death. Yes. And not only have we gone to a number of caregiver conferences, but you and I have actually spoke nationally and you have spoken internationally at different conferences. Mm -hmm. It's just another way for us to get insights so that we can share with the listeners. Absolutely. And what we found is no matter where we go and who we talk to, we, over, we always come away having learned something. And that brings us to today's guest. She's an occupational therapist with 40 years of rich and varied clinical and academic experiences. Her experience led her to the development of the GEMS dementia classification model and uh, the positive approach to care training strategies. She is the CEO of the Positive Approach to Care, which provides online and in-person education and podcasts for families and professionals. Tipa is a very dynamic speaker and presents with extraordinary expertise and humor to audiences throughout the world. We are very pleased to welcome Tipa to our show. Hi, Tipa. Hi, folks. You know, we have been fortunate enough to actually be in your presence and hear you speak twice. And as someone who um, leads a caregiver support group, I frequently point them toward your YouTube videos, always with a huge positive response. We have learned so much from you that we wished we had known when we were actively caregiving. So thank you so much for what you do. You're welcome. And I wish you had it when you needed it too, because that's probably one of the most frustrating things is people don't have what they need when they need it. Um, we thought we had a handle on it. We thought it was going to be difficult on a, on some level, but we we understood what we were getting into. But we truly didn't understand was dementia behaviors and how to respond to them. Can you talk to our listeners about that? Yeah. So one of the things that people tend to talk about in dementia is loss. But what they don't always think about is, but people keep something, and so it's the combination of what I'm not able to do with what I still can do that results in a surprise when you're the care partner or the or the caregiver because all of a sudden what i used to do isn't what's happening and and trying to use logic or words or trying to get me to see it is often the absolute worst thing to do because if i could i would and acknowledging wow that's really different <laughs> And and taking a step back from it instead of trying to immediately do a quick fix 
is probably a very important strategy. And it's one of the hardest things for caregivers to let go of is that you can't get her to behave like she's a child and you can get a child to behave because that's not what's going on. I mean, we have a brain that sometimes can, sometimes can't, and a body that is full size and a history of perhaps being the boss of you, not the other way around. Well, I think that was definitely part of the relationship that had a huge change with Mike when his dad was Mm. living with us. Mm -hmm. His perception of him as such a strong, independent, knowledgeable person. Yeah. It was was amazing. Um, My dad was absolutely fearless. As a young man in Italy, I should say, as a young teen in Italy, about 13, 14 years old, uh, that he lived on the east coast of Italy, and the Germans, the couriers would go up the east coast with the courier pouches, and my dad and a friend would sit there with a rope and clothesline the Germans, the couriers, wow. off of their motorcycles and grab Ouch. the courier pouches wow. and give them to the Allies. Wow. So this is a guy from a very, very young age was absolutely fearless. And then when, you know, the dementia set in and he became so frail and he became so afraid of everything, it was such a paradigm shift that I really had a super, super hard time dealing with it because that wasn't, he looked like my dad. But that was not your dad. No. That was the dementia with your dad. It was, it was such a, uh, for lack of a better word, such a a, a mind screw. Yeah, for sure. My, my brain was all screwed Yeah, up. well, because what he had done as a teenager is he put his fear in his back pocket because he had purpose and he had value. But when the dementia hit, he became so not able to be how and who he was that it became overwhelming to him to imagine himself as competent. And he started to see himself as incompetent and unable. And the simplest things that previously he did without thinking, now he couldn't think how to do. And so his image, his internal personal image of himself, he was robbed. I mean, and so this, he became this incredibly fretful and fearful person who truly didn't know what was the next step. What do I do? How do I do this? And he'd never, ever experienced fear like that before because he could always figure out what to do. And he, and he couldn't figure out. He, his brain was his, his, his most powerful tool, and he'd lost his, his whole tool set. And it's, it's interesting because one of the things he said many, many times was, que fare, que fare, meaning, what am I supposed to do? Exactly. What yeah. am I supposed to do? And he often said, it just don't make yeah. sense. Yes. He was aware enough to know that he had huge deficits, but he really couldn't understand why. No, and it's sort of important for us to wrap our heads around where was that coming from? And the part of our brain, which is the prefrontal cortex, which allows us to know what comes next when we when we initiate to get started and to know what comes next and to know when we're finished and then what to do next after that. That's the very part of his brain that got damaged by dementia very early. 
And so the, the, the strongest and most powerful part of what made him him was his ability to think forward and to plan the next step and to know what to do. And that's the very thing that got wiped clean. And so it was terrifying because how could I not know that? And to feel so defeated by yourself. Right. I mean, and, and, and it's like, I've never had to ask someone else what to do next. Now I am dependent on another person. I don't even know what I, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know how to sit down. I don't know how to stand up sometimes. I don't, I certainly don't know how to get a shirt out of closet and put it on. I mean, and so feeling helpless and, and yet knowing I should know how to do this stuff. I absolutely should. You know, Chiba, I think one of the big aha moments that I learned from you at a conference that we attended was your explaining to us how we have to adapt to them. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the hardest things is when he says, I don't know what to do. We tend to want to say it's okay. And the problem is, if it were okay, he wouldn't be saying it with the hurt in his voice. And so acknowledging for him, it's not okay not to know and say, hey, dad, how about we try this? Come on, let's get a shirt. Come with me and companion him. Uh, that idea of we have to make this shift. And it's so hard not to want him to be him. And it's like, it's the closest to him he can get is when we're able to pick up that piece that's missing and say, so dad, what you thinking? This one or this one? Which is much better than which shirt do you want to wear? Because that's just from all the choices. I don't know. I don't know. What, what should I wear? I don't know what I should wear. What should I wear? <laughs> and then once again, I'm, I'm confronted with my own inability. So the difference between feeling competent because my partners changed gears and and feeling incompetent because my partner then asked me another question that I again don't know what to do about. Ugh. So it's it truly is. I mean it is taking an taking on a new role but not becoming the boss. One of the things he said uh early on when he came to live with us and he had been having problems for a, a great a long time before he came to live with us, we everybody knew he wouldn't be able to live on his own. Um, and the question was, what's going to happen? And we had planned, so he was coming with us. But early on, um, you know, I left my job to be the caregiver while Mike went to work every day to support us so we could do this. Mm -hmm. And he said to me one day, my wife died, my mother died. Now I can do whatever I want. And here he was con confronted with me. <laughs> Dragon lady. Who <laughs> uh, was, you know, trying to keep things on track. And uh, <laughs> he said to me one time, you know, in Italy, women are second class citizens. And I said to him, you know, you don't live there anymore, right? <laughs> uh, that's not good. <laughs> Maybe not the best answer. Not the best answer, I'm sure. So can you suggest would have been better off? <laughs> well, I think you were on the right track. Humor, humor does have its place because he was both acknowledging that he now had a new boss lady. And he was also <laughs> trying to tell you, I wish you wouldn't be my boss. But it's also talking about his history. I mean, he'd always have a woman in his life and it was always, yeah, women may not be second-class citizens, but let me tell you what, mama's always the boss. Whatever mama says, she gets that spoon out, you better listen. I mean, mama, mama's mama. Right. And yeah, the guys could say whatever they want. When mama speaks, 
the boys listen. I mean, oh, come on. <laughs> We're not fooling anybody. But I think what he was trying to say to you is, I feel like you're bossing me around and I'm feeling like I, I'm inferior. And it, it, it's, it's not what, I mean, his, it was his own brain mostly that was making it hard for him, but he also was uncomfortable with having a woman in charge because that's not, that's not where he came from. Right. I mean, where he came from his whole life. What kind of work did he do? I'm curious. Well, he retired from the post office. He worked at the post office, but he had advanced degrees in mathematics and um, literature. Wow, both sides of the brain. So he was an incredibly brilliant guy. He was. Yeah. He had the equivalent of a master's degree in Italy by the age of 20. Yeah. And he used to do calculus in his head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Boy, talk about a betrayal. Whole, oh my heavens, his brain just totally betrayed him. Oof. What what was interesting was that he always said, you know, I'm the luckiest guy. He said, you know, whenever I needed a job, I was always able to get a job. I'm so lucky, even though he had lost all his education, all his thought processes. Yeah. His his whole thing was, I was so lucky. Yeah. And that seeing that bright side, it makes a huge difference finding the the silver lining in the things. I mean, yeah. yeah, but it was so hard for him to deal with his own brain. I mean, and I think that's he 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 did he did recognize I'm so lucky. Mm-hmm. And I suspect he felt he was lucky with you guys, too. Um, he definitely had moments of what what I call moments of clarity where he would tell people, She's my best friend. I don't know what I would do without her. But there were also moments when I was the villain who was holding him hostage and starving him and trying to kill him and in those moments as well. I think one of the hardest moments for me was walking into his hospital room Mm. um, after he'd had a psychotic break and then pneumonia and hearing him telling the nurses that she's no damn good. And it is. That is one of the when you know they they when somebody is disrespectful to everything. I mean everything you've done. And I mean we're talking like giving up your giving up your job, giving up your life for a while, and being t- basically all day long, every day, and into the evening and into the night, and then to be betrayed by the brain that's yeah. broken just feels so unfair. <laughs> it's like and to rat me out to somebody. Are you kidding me? Um, and that sense of betrayal where his brain betrayed him and then it betrayed you because how in the world, and it's all about his greatest fears. What was his greatest fear? He'd be abandoned. What was his greatest fear? He'd be trapped somewhere and not be able to get out. Um, because he, I mean, he did quite dangerous things when you think back to being a teenager in Italy. I mean, you can't get a whole lot more dangerous than that. I mean, that's like, that's like poking the bear with, with a flaming stick and then hiding in a, like a tree with three branches and going, yeah, do you find me? (laughs) I mean, the fear that he had to have lived with while he did this incredibly daring thing, but to realize that later on that primitive brain that allowed him to do that, even though he had fear, because it wasn't fearless. It was done with the recognition, I might not make it out of this, but I'm, I'm still going to do it. And then to be 
trapped in a brain that can't figure anything out is, is really that really hard place to be, to know you should have gratitude, but to actually been so resentful that I can't be the me that I've always been. And there's got to be a reason for that. And when the brain then is not clear, this is when that crazy stuff comes out. That it's like she keeps me prisoner. She's stolen things from me. She is. She 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 comes in and she takes my socks and she hides them from me. And it's like, yeah, that's what I do. But what he's really saying is, my brain can't find socks. My brain, you know, I I feel trapped in this. And and you're the face of all that because it has to have a face in that moment. So, Tipa, let me ask you this. What brought you to this work and um, how did you get so smart? (laughs) 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 Well, um, the interesting thing is that, um, well, my grandfather moved in when I was very young and uh, my mom and he were not colleagues. So my grandmother died and my grandfather started showing signs of not, not right anymore. And he was German. Okay, so that sort of gives you, I mean, very German. And he had been a superintendent in an apartment complex. And after she died, we got a phone call because he was breaking into people's apartments and telling them that he was fixing their sink, (laughs) among other things, in the middle of the night. So he came to live with us, but my mom um, and he would like butt heads like nobody's business because she's a phys ed, she was a phys ed teacher. And so she would say, dad, what part of mom's dead don't you remember? And, you know, it was really yikes. Um, She wasn't much of a, she was not a caregiver. I mean, she just never could become a caregiver. She was too, well, this is how it is. I mean, I don't like sick people, but, you know, she, mm-hmm. she couldn't quite figure out why I went into what I went into. So, uh, you know, I had several life experiences where I worked with people whose brains weren't, weren't quite intact. So my grandfather, we didn't even think, we didn't know about dementia back when I was young. Um, you know, I was like, grandpa's eccentric. He's weird. I mean, he has moments. He had COPD, he had black lung disease from World War II, where he worked in the, you know, the depression where he worked in the coal mines. Um, and he was a smoker. So, I mean, we didn't know his vascular dementia. We just thought he was, you know, he had these episodes. And he got weirder and weirder. Um, so I dealt with dementia as, as a kid and a teenager and then worked in a nursing home, you know, and was always drawn to people who were interesting and challenging. And I worked with kids with developmental disabilities, with autism and um, cerebral palsy. And so I've always had that sort of interest in people who were viewed often as not acceptable or not right or and figured out ways to make things work. And I've always been real curious. So um, after some work in day center and, uh, some other things, I had a degree from Duke, much like your dad <laughs> got my, got my undergraduate from Duke in zoology. And you can do very little with an undergraduate degree in zoology, unless you want to go on somewhere. So it took a couple years trying to figure out what it was I was going to do and got a chance to work with more people living with dementia and people with developmental disabilities and ended up becoming an occupational therapist and loving head injury and stroke and 
uh, got a job working with um, medical school on a program on aging and started working in dementia and found it to be really beyond fascinating. It, it really became <clears throat> a mission that people would short shortchange people living with dementia and their family members and give them nothing and just tell them, well, there's nothing you can do. And it's like, well, that's not true. There's all kinds of things we could do. That This is a long life to live with nothing you can do. And I never believed that. So it's always been this passion, I guess, to help people help better. Well, you certainly do that. And it's in part being inspired by you that I do the work that I do. And I do a workshop called uh, Find the Yes to Reduce the Stress. And, you know, teach people how to respond in a way that respects who they are. I mean, I think one of the greatest challenges is people want people the way they were. And it's like, if I could be the way I was, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I wouldn't... If I could, I would. I'm a deliberate. I'm not deliberately doing any of this. It may feel like it, and I hate that. But when my brain is the way it is, I can only do what I can do right then. And and for me, that care partner, the same is true for me. Unless I learn some new ways to try, because if I keep doing what's not working, I don't know how anything's going to get better. And we're just going to both go down in flames. And it's like, well we lost one person to this condition. What in the world? We want to lose two? No. I mean, this is ridiculous. We've got to, we've got to keep both people lifted. Um, and it means, you know, going beyond what we already know to be willing to learn something we don't and then be willing to try it and make mistakes and learn from the mistakes. Now, Tipe, you de- you developed a program, um, GEMS, mm. for a dementia classification. And I recall seeing your presentation, it was probably about an hour to an hour and 10 minutes. But I was wondering if there's some way you can kind of do a Reader's Digest version. Sure. So um, would you rather I talk about you as, Mike, you're losing things and you're going to lose more things. And pretty soon you'll be so lost, you won't even know who you are, what you are, where you are. Or would it be easier for us to have a conversation about, so Mike, things are probably going to change. And sometimes you'll be clear and absolutely wonderful. And sometimes you'll be sharp and you can cut people. And when you're like that, um, you're sort of like a diamond. Like when pressure gets to you, you can either shine with the right setting and the right care, or you can cut with the right setting and the wrong care. And it could go either way, but you're still, you still know what you want and what you like, but it may not be the right match for what you need. But that's going to be my challenge is to figure out how to get this to work for us. Then you might be a little more, um, and so that was your diamond, and now you're a little more vague. And you're on the go, but you're not sure when or where or exactly how to do something, but you want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And it's often related to things you've done in the past, but your skills are just not as clear and sharp. You have a flaw or two or maybe several, but you may not know about those flaws. And so what I have to be willing to do is to hear where you are and what you think you're doing and figure out 
how to take that and help you go where you want to go, but with some support. So in an emerald state, people are on the go, but I, yeah, I've got to figure it out. So I go with the flow. And people who are in an emerald state want to have a friend, not a boss. So it works a lot better to say, they say that I want to go home. Are you know the the other answer would be, well, you are home. Instead, you go, you want to go home. Did you need? Did you need to do something there? You just want to be there. Well, I don't like being here. Ah, so you're ready to get out of here. All right. Well, tell you what, let's get out of here for a little bit. And amazingly enough, when you go with that, when you come back, it's like, well, why didn't you bring me here in the first place? <laughs> Good question. I thought I did, but evidently I did, and I'm so sorry. Um, and then it gets to where um, in the amber state, what you're all about is whether you like something sensory-wise or you don't like something sensory-wise. Because ambers are like the yellow light. Um, that's what's slowing down is ability to understand things. And so it's more about, I like it, I want it, I need it. I don't like it, I don't want it, I don't need that. But unfortunately, personal care routines are usually the kind of thing they don't like. But right. sugar is something they love. Um, but they have enough skill and ability to tear things apart, but they have no idea how to put them back together again. Um, so that idea of living in the moment in the amber state and being willing to pause and go, okay, no washing up right now. Okay, let me give it a few minutes. Let me get him a cup of coffee. Let me see if I can get him to want to do, you know, and so it's that negotiating minute by minute. Um, and they have no caution, so you got to use caution, like the yellow light and the stoplight. And then we have Ruby, and in Ruby, um, what I keep is my strength. What I lose is all skill. Mm. So I'm strong without skill, so I can use my hands like for clapping or grabbing or, or whacking or carrying, but I can't use them to use utensils or be able to manipulate things. And my vision is monocular and my strength of walking, I walk till I drop. But then when I'm sitting or lying down, it's incredibly hard for me to figure out or you to help me get into a standing position. Mm -hmm. So my body is, is strong, but it is not skillful, including when I go to eat, I can't chew well. And I, I, I could get food and jam it in my mouth and go too fast or go too slow, but the ability to, to even speak. You definitely had that. Yes. I can sing. I can sing though. And I can dance, which is just remarkable, but it's all based on rhythm. So rhythm is my strength and it's strong. And finally, then the last gem before leaving is the pearl. And I selected a pearl because it's hidden in this ugly, ugly oyster shell which is the body at the end of the disease, what it does to the human body, because the brain runs everything. And when it can't run everything, everything starts falling apart. But inside that ugly, ugly shell, which is ruled by reflexes. And so at the end of this disease, we see all kinds of primitive reflexes, the curling up, the unable to move, um, the, the fear and the ah. But inside that shell, when we, we are just in the right place in the right time, the shell opens just a little and we see this amazing pearl still in there. Um, and when the shell opens, wow. I mean, those are the moments that are just glorious because no longer a diamond, an emerald, an amber, a ruby, but on a grain of sand, they're still there. I mean, absolutely perfect in their imperfections. But 
you know, that, that gift we have to say, okay, enough, you've, you've done it all, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. and learning that art of letting them go at the end is we think we're ready, but we're never ready. No. But I have to say one of the most precious moments we had with him was that last day. And at one point he looked up into the corner of the room and he said, Oh, wow. Look at that. I see the mist. Uh And he looked at me and he said, you go first. And uh, (laughs) I took that to mean he was going someplace he wasn't sure of. He trusted me to be there with him. Um, And I said to him, I think I'm going to stay here with Mike for a while, but if you need to go, that's okay. And what he needed was that you had been his guide. And so he needed you to give him that last permission. Can I go home? Yep. And he had he had told us a few weeks before that that God had told him his job here was done. And Tifa, I think at least part of it was he was here to be my teacher, so I could do what I do now. Yeah, we're always on a road; we just don't know what it is. And so, as soon as we think we know where we're going, we get the rug moved just a little bit. <laughs> that's right. It's like, yeah, that's not your job. Do what I asked you. <laughs> now, Mike, you. Had a very special moment at that day too. He was dying on his birthday. Oh yes, yes, yes. So um, we had hospice here at the house, and the woman's and they said, you know, it's going to be days, if not hours. But the woman said, you know, why don't you guys go grab a bite to eat because you're going to be pretty much up all night. And so we did. We ran out and we went to the local. Um, a small business restaurant. We pushed the food around the plate, didn't really eat. And we came home and the woman said, I've been sitting here saying little prayers that he would hold off until after midnight because that would be his birthday and he would pass on his birthday. And I thought, that's kind of odd. And I said, well, you know, why would you want that? She said, just think. His last birthday here, what better birthday present than to see God, see his wife, see his mother and father, see his sister. What better birthday present? And I went, Whoa. There you go. <laughs> Got to go home on my birthday. Yeah. And, and so Bobby and I sat up and we were hold on, hold on, another two hours, another hour and a half. And then it went past midnight, and he did pass um, right about 5.30 in the morning yeah. on his birthday, his 83rd birthday. Yeah. It, was, it was special. Yeah. I mean, and that's, my mom made it past her birthday as well. It, you know, and, you know, when I was born, I was born on Mother's Day. Yeah. And her statement, and it was a long labor apparently, I wasn't the easiest child. And it was something like five in the morning when I came and her statement when I was born apparently was that's a hell of a mother's day present. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because I have a friend who was born on, not only was it mother's day, but it was his mother's birthday. Oh, and then three years later, his brother was born on mother's day. Oh my heavens. And two years after that, his sister was born on not only Mother's Day, but Mom's birthday. <laughs> wow. She said, that's it. That's enough. 
That is like, holy moly. That is like weird. <laughs> like, yes. oh, that's beyond. I thought it was, you know, it was enough that I was born on Mother's Day. Yeah, I got that one. And, you know, she was an October lady. So, yeah, no, she was a Steelers fan, though. Uh, God bless her. Yeah. <laughs> that's my that's my girl right there. I know. So, well, she, she, her rule was she had to die when the Steelers were winning. And there you go. <laughs> she made it. Now, um, you know, you talked about the dancing and the music and had some pretty poignant um, moments. My dad, growing up in Italy, opera was a big thing. And I uh, mentioned one time that uh, I liked Andre Bocelli, and he was not familiar with him. So I went and got a CD and brought it up to him. And he was like, oh, my God, this guy, he's better than Pavarotti. He's better than Lanza. He's better than all these guys. And so that prompted me to go out and get a DVD. Ah. And the DVD is um, One Week in Tuscany. Oh. And it was a number of opera houses. Location. And he, they showed scenery between the songs. And it would make my dad go back in time and he would start talking about the history of the this fountain or this park and what they learned in school and i would pause the dvd and we would just go on this history lesson beautiful and you know five minutes eight minutes ten minutes and he would look and say why'd you stop it and so we would start it again and and so this 90 minute dvd took about three hours wow but it was so wonderful that every time we played this, this whole pearl, as you said, yeah. opened up. And, and they were just wonderful, wonderful moments. Well, that's your wisdom. And, and so I want to, you know, grazie, grazie. Because, I mean, <laughs> Thank you. truly, I mean, to, to pick up on the opera and then to realize, ah, here's someone he's never heard. Start with the CD, add the DVD, and then have the wisdom when he recognizes and wants to share, not to shush him and not to continue on, but to pause in that moment because that imagery took him to a place and a time in his and that would have been an emerald moment when he absolutely knew the place, the time, and the words flowed, and he got to be a sapphire in that moment. Mm -hmm. It was literally, and the sapphire is when you're true blue brain. And usually we talk about carers, and can they be true blue instead of diamond light? But in truth, he in that moment got to be whole. And you, uh, you gave him the platform to be whole again for a brief period. And then he went diamond when he said, why did you stop the DVD? <laughs> and then we were back into the flow. I mean, but that gift, you and he traveled the entire gem spectrum in and out with that, that gift that started where he was and allowed you to journey with him. And wow. And, and it's funny because I knew nothing of the music therapy, the music and memory then. Ah. But it was one of those things that was just by accident. And I'm, I'm a musician. I've been a musician since yeah. I was eight years old, seven years old. And, and so music is just nature to me. Yeah. And I just went with the flow. And I love all forms of music. But 
since then I've become the music therapist to, to be able to do that. But it was interesting that I saw firsthand and I didn't even know what I was seeing, but was able to take it. The other incredibly cool part is how you used both sides of your dad's brain. Yeah. Because the vision led to the words, led to the vision, led to the music, led to the vision, led to the words. So that roadmap that you built together is just, I mean, if more families could find that roadmap instead of saying, oh, he says, tells me the same stories. And instead seeing the music and the beauty of the story and to memorize the story so that when he loses the story, you can you can say, now there was a time in Tuscany Mm -hmm. and to tell him the story that he told you, because that's truly what a dear friend does is tell your story, sing your song when you can't remember the words. Oh, that's beautiful. And you know, Tiba, one of the things that I try to help people discover on this journey is if we allow them to go back in time, you will hear some things that you had never heard before and end up with some memories that are so precious when they're not here with us anymore. Um, is there- Those will be the gems that they give you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Allow, you're so willing to make the trip with them. We yeah. tend to, when we're, when we're in a caregiver support group and people are sitting around talking, sharing the difficult moments. But there's so much more to this. So here's one of my rules. When somebody says, oh, it's been a really hard week, I'll say, tell me two things that were better this week than you, they could have been. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then one that we need to work on. Two that were better than they could have been, if not good, at least better than they could have been. And one that you want to work on. To get people out of that, oh, it's awful, it's awful, it's awful. And I'll, I'll sit there and I'll say, well, he didn't do, okay, so that's, that's this. Tell me what's something good. You know, because people do get into the, the downward spiral and helping them yes. reverse course by asking, tell me two things. And I know it's going to be hard. Two things you did well this week. And I'll even push a care partner to say two things you did well. Not that went well, that you did well. Two things you tried at least. Oh, Give yourself credit. Th- that is so valuable to caregivers who so often feel like, no matter what they try, nothing's working, right. um, which is why I am now known as the imperfect caregiver, um, because it took me through this journey to understand you don't have to be perfect. Nope. <laughs> if you were perfect, we'd, we'd put you up somewhere, but, you know, we got to keep you on the ground here and working because we need you. Tipa, it's been wonderful having you on the show. You are such a delight. Well, it's been fun talking with you. I mean, you know, just having the time with you and the work you're doing is much needed and much valued. And it's going to take every single one of us to, to make this ship go in a better direction. So and thank you so much to, for continuing to be my teacher. Wow. <laughs> now we're going to put links on the Roger, that website back to you. Okay. So cool. that people could get to you from our website And please keep up the good work and hope to see you at a conference soon. Virtually, if not in person anyway. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. So we touched on a lot of things today. Well, one of the things that I'm definitely taking away from this is tell me two things that went better than you thought they would. Yes, that is definitely a way to do a paradigm shift. In, in the thought processes. And also the, the, 
the gems kind of gives a little different understanding of the different phases. Um, and I remember the first time I heard it, it was kind of an aha moment for me. What that pearl inside that is so poignant and so awesome. At the end, we got to we got to keep remembering that that in there is a pearl. Absolutely. You can find more information about TIPA and the Positive Approach to Care resources on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us or where Bobby will be speaking next, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.